People of God, please open your copy of God's Word to 2 Kings chapter 19. If you're using a Bible on, that you picked up from the cart as you came in, that's on page 326. We'll be reading this morning 2 Kings 19 verses 14 through 20. But there are a couple of names in this passage of Scripture that you might not recognize. So I just want to speak a brief word about what's going on in this passage. The two names are Hezekiah and Sennacherib. Now, Hezekiah is king of the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah. And the Bible describes him as holding tightly to the Lord. And this is a great compliment considering the kings that came before and the kings that will come after Hezekiah. But during Hezekiah's reign, another king came to power, the king of the Assyrian Empire. His name was Sennacherib. Now, the Assyrian Empire had already taken the northern kingdom of Israel. They had taken it in war and they had taken it at God's command. And now they are setting their sights on the southern kingdom of Israel, not at God's command. But having set their sights, Sennacherib sends messengers to Jerusalem And these messengers mock the people of Jerusalem. They mock their king and their God. They boasted that no other nation could come and help defend Jerusalem against the might of the Assyrian Empire. That Jerusalem did not have enough men to defend themselves. And that God was just as powerless to defend them as the gods of any other nation had been to defend their people. They promised the people peace and prosperity if they rejected the Lord, arguing once again that he is no more able to save than any other weak national deity. So at these words, Hezekiah, king of Judah, tears his clothes. He sends messengers to the prophet Isaiah asking if the Lord had heard these threats. Isaiah assures Hezekiah that Sennacherib would not take Jerusalem. And in fact, Sennacherib and his army do get distracted with another battle. But not wanting his intimidation to lose effect, he sends a letter to Hezekiah, making the same boasts. This is where we'll pick up reading in 2 Kings 19, beginning in verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers... And read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, 
our God alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. And in fact, God did hear. And before it was over, the Lord laid waste to 185,000 soldiers of the Assyrian Empire. And Sennacherib was slain at the hands of his own sons. For his own name's sake, the Lord has done this. This is the word of the Lord. Praise him. Well, certainly very thankful um, uh, for Brother Jason's uh, spirited reading and his summary of our passage this morning. All I want to do, all that God has put on my heart. See, what you've been hearing uh, uh, from all of us is exactly what we wanted to do. What Pastor Mark wanted to do was to give you uh, uh, an outline a form of prayer that Jesus gave his disciples. What Pastor Ted wanted to do is to encourage you to have arguments and, and fervent reasons uh, for uh, what you ask of God. What Pastor Jonathan wanted us to do was to commune with God, to just enjoy God, to be with God, uh, to have God come to us. And all I want to do is encourage you to pray. I want you to be stimulated to pray uh, privately, in your homes, in your cars, in the workplace, when you gather together in, in corporate prayer. I want you to really enjoy the blessing that prayer can be. So what we're going to do is just dive right into the passage I've got a seven-point outline. It's not going to be long. I promise you, by God's grace, we'll stop right at noon. Uh, I've got seven things that, uh, that come right out of the passage, which I think are the heart of the passage. You've got a righteous Hezekiah, number one. Number two, you've got a resourceful Hezekiah. You've got the rancor of Rabshakeh, the opposition to Hezekiah. You've got response number one uh, from Hezekiah. You've got rancor number two from the Rabshakeh. You've got response number two from Hezekiah. And you've got the result. You've got the end of the whole matter because through it all, there was a throne that was much higher than Sennacherib. There was an infinite throne much higher than Washington, D.C., much higher than any communist government on this earth, much higher than the combination of all of them put together. There was a throne, and that's where Hezekiah was fixed. That's where he went. Well, let's notice that he was a righteous man. 
Uh, Grant Hewitt in our Sunday school class said he was such a good man. Hezekiah, according to 2 Kings 8, 5, he trusted in the Lord. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. That's 2 Kings 8, 5. He was a reformer. He was the one who brought back the sacrificial system that was so precious to Israel that distinguished them uh, from the rest of the world. He's the one that reinstituted uh, the Passover. He's the one that brought Israel back. According to 2 Chronicles 31.20, Hezekiah did this throughout all Judah. He did what was good and upright and true before the Lord his God. That's 2 Chronicles 31.20. But 2 Chronicles uh, uh, 32.1 says, After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. You see, the first lesson uh, that you learn right out of the gate is that faithfulness and righteousness, and if we can say so, Christianity does not exempt us from trials and troubles and afflictions. It's after he did these things. We share, you see, dear people, dear sheep of of God's fold, we share in the same kind of troubles and sicknesses and difficulties and trials and accidents and losses and all kinds of other things just like lost people do just like people who don't believe. We get the same thing. The difference is, in all of these uncontrollable circumstances, the difference is, dear people, is that we have joy in the midst of them. We have grace in the midst of them. We, we learn from God. We are taught by God. We are improved upon by God in the midst of those trials. We do not become bitter. We do not want to kill ourselves. We do not always want to escape. We want to learn. And through all of these things, we learn. There is a sense in which the righteous suffer even more. Hear me now. There is a sense in which we are the persecuted ones. We are the one that the world is against. The unbeliever is in league with the world. He's he's on the stream. She's on the stream that flows with the world. The Christian is always swimming upstream. He's always against the tide. He has a difficult time, but he has the grace of God. And that's what Hezekiah had. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to see what Affliction brought out of the godly man who is just like we are. He's made of the same substance. He's a human being just like we are. We notice in the second place then that he had resourcefulness. 
And all I mean by that is, is that he was willing to do his part. If we can say it like this, he was willing to cooperate. He was willing to use the gifts that God had given him. And we trust and we have every reason to believe that he did those things prayerfully as well. So in Second Chronicles 32.3, he consults with his officials and his warriors and they stop up all the waters of the springs uh, that were outside the city. Many people gathered and stopped up the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. They said, why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water? Then Hezekiah strengthened his position by rebuilding the entire broken down wall and heightening the towers on the other side of the wall. He repaired the supporting terraces of the city of David and made an abundance of weapons and shields. In our passage right here, in 1 Kings 18 and in verse 15, we learn that Hezekiah gave the king of Assyria all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts that Hezekiah of King of, Ju of, King of Judah had overlaid and gave them to the king of Assyria. He was working for peace. He was working for appeasement. He was doing everything that he could do on his side of it. And even later on, he, in case they did come, Hezekiah was this resourceful. He said, if they come, don't answer them. Don't talk to them. In chapter 18 in, and verse 36, we read that the people kept silent. They did not answer the Rabshenka anything. For the king's command was, don't answer him. So he was resourceful. He, he was doing all that he could, trusting God. And he told the people in Second Chronicles 32 and verse 8, Hezekiah says, He has only human strength, but we have Yahweh. We have the Lord God to help us fight our battles. So the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Unlike Elijah, we don't read that he was afraid. We don't read that he wanted to run. We don't read that he, he feared anybody. He, he, he was fastened upon his God. He was righteous and he was resourceful. Nevertheless, in the, in the third place, the rancor comes. The Rabshakeh. That's not a man's name. I just found this out. I always thought it was a guy's name. It's actually a, 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 an honored position that this person held. The Rabshakeh is a diplomatic spokesman uh, for the government. Uh, he is a a representative of the king, a Sennacherib. And 
And, and so he comes, and he is like the devil, whose son he is uh, by his own nature. He unleashes all of these arguments. He reminds you of the devil when he came after Job, when God gave him permission. He gave Job all he had. All he could take away from Job, everything that you can imagine. And then he touches him from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. This is what the Rabshakeh is like. In chapter 18 and in, in, in verse 9, he calls their government a superpower. We are the great king of Assyria. Nobody can defeat us. In verse 21, he denigrates their supposed trust in Egypt. Who's talking about Egypt? When did Hezekiah say anything about Egypt? Where's that come from? He makes this story up. He's suggesting that just in case you're thinking about Egypt, because they're your friend, they're not going to be, they can't help you of their week. But Hezekiah didn't say anything about Egypt. In verses 23 uh, and, and 24, the Rabshakeh mocks the military weakness of, of the Israelites as if it depended upon that. Can you put men on these horses? If, if I gave you the horses, you don't have enough men to even put on them. In, in verse 25, he claims, he blasphemes, he, he claims a divine commissioning. He's got God on a marionette. He says, God told me to tell this to you guys. He, he's using every possible argument that he can. He's at least bilingual. In, in verses 27 through 30, he shouts in the Hebrew tongue, not in, in the Aramaic. He wants everybody to understand this terrible threat. He, 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 he's a false guide. He says Hezekiah is a false guide, but he is the false guide. In, in verses 33 uh, through 35, he blasphemes God, and he compares him to the lifeless idols of all the other nations that they have already defeated. He says, your God is no different than any of these other countries that we've already conquered. This is a crisis. This is like what happened to Job. It's happening to Hezekiah. It is real. It is fierce. It is not to be doubted. It is not a thimbleful. It's not a coffee cup for a trial. It's not a bucket. It's not a 55-gallon drum. It is an ocean of trouble coming to the righteous, resourceful Hezekiah. Some of you know what this is. Some of you know what a crisis is. Some of you know how hard things can be for you. You have been in places, some of you, maybe all of you will sooner or later. You'll be in a place like Hezekiah. You'll be in a place that you didn't want to be, that you never dreamed of being, and you don't want to be there. And you thought in your mind, if I, if I ever end up like that, if I ever lose that, if I'm ever found in that circumstance, I'll never make it. I can't do it. 
every single one of you that have had an experience like that, every single one of you, you have found something else. You have found the power of God. You have found the mercy of God. You have found the nearness of Jesus Christ. You have found something that you may not have expected to find because you didn't expect to find yourself in that spot. But you found Christ. You found God. You found power. And you didn't find it just for yourself. It, it left a mark on you. And from now on, you have greater confidence in God. You have sweeter counsel uh, for your friends and, and for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You've got all of that from the affliction. God was there. He was there for you. He never left you. And if you've never been to a place like that, you can take it from me and take it from all the rest of the people here. Take it from Hezekiah. God will not let go of you. God will be with you. You will know his power. It will come. You will know his mercy. You will know his love. He will fill you up. You will not be defeated. And that's what we're going to see here. We're, we're, we're going to see what Hezekiah does. John Piper says, John Piper says this. I think this is beautiful. He says, when we have little and have lost much, Christ comes and reveals himself as more valuable than what we have lost. And when we are overflowing in abundance, Christ comes and shows us that he is far superior than everything we have. That's his object. That's his goal. It's, it's, it's to show his worth, his value, his preciousness. That's what we want. That's what we want for Heritage Baptist Church. That's what we want this revitalization to be. According to Pastor Jonathan, what we really want, we just want more of God. We want God to visit us. We want God to transform us. We want God to make us a praying church. Not for, so other people will know about it, but so he'll know about it. So that he'll see it. And I want to encourage you through a message like this of what prayer can do and, 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 and how key it is. Elizabeth Elliot, <laughs> she says, in the context of, of, of affliction and loss and in praying for something but not getting it, she says, God never denies us our heart's desire. He never de denies our heart's desire except to give us something better. Isn't that right? Can I get a witness? Isn't that right? That's right. That's the testimony of everyone who doesn't have what they want. They got something better. They got more of Christ. They got more of him. Well, then what is Hezekiah's response? We've had his righteousness We've had his resourcefulness. We've had rancor number one. What is response number one then? 
Hezekiah tears his clothes in chapter 1 and verse 19. Jason reminded us that things are really bad. We got a blasphemer. We got a persuasive guy. We've got a mixture of truth and wickedness. He shows faith as the crisis becomes greater and more formidable. It looks like collapse is imminent. His focus is upward. His focus is... He's not going to go to his defense secretary. He's not going to go to the admirals and the generals. He's not going to check out the warehouse and see what he's got there. He's not going to do that. He's going to go to Isaiah the prophet. And, and, and he's going to ask him, in case God has heard, Isaiah, you represent God. Will you pray for us? Just get an answer from God. And in, in chapter 19 and in verse 6, Isaiah says, Tell your master this. Uh, the Lord says, Don't be afraid of the words you have heard that, that the king of Assyria attendants have blasphemed me. I am about to put a spirit in him and he will hear a rumor and return to his own land. And, and I will cause him to fall by the sword. Well, is... is is, is that the end of it? That should be the end of it, shouldn't it? Isaiah, Isaiah says on behalf of God, this is what God's going to do. But it's not the end of it. Because rancor is repeated. Uh, we have response one uh, uh, to rancor number one, and now rancor number two comes. In, in verse 10 of chapter 19, this letter comes, this, this a second attempt, and God is labeled to be, it's not that Hezekiah is a, a deceiver, you're God. He blasphemes God. He says, God is a deceiver. His promises are not dependable. You cannot count on God. In verses 11 through 13, he recounts the recent history and, and, and all of the gods that did not deliver them. Turn your back on yours. He's no different. Your God is just like the rest of them. He lies. He doesn't know God. He, he states that we are an overwhelming military power. You can read the list Read what we have captured and whom we have defeated. Read it for yourself. Now, what's Hezekiah going to do? Is, is that going to catch him off base? Is he going to start looking horizontally? Is he going to trust his reason? Pascal says, reason's last step, the rational mind, the mind of man, reason's last step is the recognition that there are an infinite number of things beyond it, beyond reason. It's the whole world of faith that is enormous, which, by the way, is entirely reasonable. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you have the Word of God, if you have that revelation, it's entirely reasonable that you should believe it. Well, Hezekiah 
takes the letter from the hand of the messengers. He reads it. Where does he go? He goes to the Lord's temple, spreads it out before the Lord. And this is what he prayed. It's worth reading one more time. I I thought Jason did a wonderful job of reading it. Lord God of Israel. See what the prayer is. See if you can pick out the prayer. Prayer being defined in, in, in this context. What does he ask God for? This is a prayer. The whole thing is a prayer. It's, it, it's having communion with God. It, it's, it's, it's ascribing glory to God. And God is hearing it. But what is his request? What does he want from God? See if you can find it. Lord God of Israel who is enthroned above the cherubim. Our Father, who art in heaven, you are God. You are God alone. All the kingdoms of the earth are yours. They belong to you. Your kingdom come. Listen closely, Lord. Here, open your eyes. We need you. Lord, and see, hear the words that Sennacherib have sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made with human hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, Lord God, please save us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are God, you alone. What's his prayer? What is his prayer? It's just, it's, it's, it's three or four simple words. What is he really asking for? Please save us. Save us from the hand of this wicked king. Save us. What's his argument? Why save us? So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord. That's the reason. That's his argument. That's the rancor of Rabshakeh is the fuel of the prayer of Hezekiah. And that's the way persecution is all over the world. I see a man. I was reading World Magazine this week. I see a man. He's in Ethiopia. There are, other, there are other terrorist groups besides ISIS. There is Boko Haram in Africa. He's standing in front of his burned-out church. They, there's no roof. There's no windows. There's no seats. There's no pews. There's nobody there but him as he stands in his ragged pants and his shirt. And the World Magazine interviewer asks him. It's a whole story, okay? I'm just giving you the part I want to tell you. I want you to see the grace of God. He asked this dear pastor, how can we pray for you? What is your prayer request? He doesn't say... I'd like a new roof on the church. I'd like the windows replaced. I'd like everything to be painted again. 
I'd like some landscaping around. I, I, I'd like things fixed, please. Uh, um, we've got hungry families here. We, oh, we need your help. That's not what he says. I'll tell you what he said. <laughs> it is grace of God. He says, pray that I might be faithful to Jesus Christ. We are not leaving. We are going to continue to worship right here. Pray for me to be faithful. That is the grace of God. That, that is what affliction brings in a gracious heart. That is what Hezekiah wants. Hezekiah wants that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. In the parallel passage, uh, we are given the key to this whole story, to the whole resolution, tremendous encouragement to prayer. Isaiah thirty-seven twenty-one. Isaiah was the prophet. He also wrote about this. It's in several different places, but in Isaiah 37, 21, then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. That's what it is. It's going to happen because Isaiah prayed. And what did he pray for? He just prayed, God, save us. us. Save us from the hand of Sennacherib. Just save us. Just deliver us. God identifies him as the primary of himself as the primary contestant, the one and only protagonist in this whole thing. He is the key player. That's what he says in Second Kings in our passage in verse 21. And in verse 22, he knows what's going on. He says, against whom has the mockery and the reviling and the blasphemy come? Against the Holy One of Israel. Well, you know what the result is. We've seen uh, Hezekiah's righteousness, his resourcefulness. We've seen the rancor two times. We've seen two responses. We come to the results. It is over the top. Isn't it? It's over the top. That's all you can say. This bad mouth, Rabshenka, his whole nation is going to be defeated. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of, of Assyria. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow there or come up before it with a shield or build up an assault ramp against it. Uh, verse 33, he will go back on the road that he came and he will not enter this city. This is the Lord's declaration. I will defend this city and rescue it. For my sake and for the sake of my servant David. He, ca he cares about his reputation. That's what he wants to do. 
That night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Didn't kill everybody. He, he wiped out the army. That is three times the population, and then some, of Owensboro, Kentucky. Wiped out bodies, 185,000 bodies lame. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and left, and he returned home and lived in Nineveh. Let's see what Sennacherib's God will do for him. What will Nishrach do for Sennacherib? On the day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, his sons, Aramalek and, and Sherazer, struck him down with a sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. His god could not save him. His God didn't even exist. God was engineering everything. The whole time, God was bringing about justice and mercy. That's what he was showing. That's what Jesus Christ, who is the master of the universe, was showing in all of his affliction. When he was on the cross... When he was being nailed to the cross, what did he say? What did he say? Did he condemn them? Did he condemn all the cosmic criminality that was being perpetrated against himself while he was stretched out? What did he say? What did he say when he had the the thorns wrapped around his head, pressed into the back of his head, beaten down into his head, nails in his hands and his feet. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's mercy at the cross. That's mercy and justice, as I've said before, kissing each other. That's justice rejoicing in mercy. That's mercy re rejoicing in justice. What did he say? What did he say to the thief who rebuked the other thief and said, at, at this extreme moment of suffering, he turns to Jesus and he says, will you remember me? Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? What did Jesus say? Really, I don't have time for this. I'm bearing the wrath of God right now. Would you please mind your own business? I... He turned with a blood-stained face. He could hardly see. And he said, this day you will... He couldn't even point. This day you will be with me in paradise. That's, that's all the goodness that comes out of the wickedness of this world. In Hezekiah's time, it's a display of God's justice and, and, and grace and power. But what I want to leave you with is all based upon prayer.
That's what prayer does. It moves the arm of God. It, it can pray for what is impossible. And you get an over-the-top. How many over-the-top experiences have you had? I can't speak for you. I can speak for myself. My whole Christian life is over the top. Everything that has happened to me, from becoming a Christian, to having children, to having an adopted son, uh, to having a daughter, a surprise, and to have her born again, <laughs> and to be a pastor, and to be involved in missions, and have a wife helps me, blesses me. To be in an eldership, to be at Heritage Baptist Church with all these new people, all, all the changes that have happened, it's all over the top. It's way out. That's what God did. Hezekiah said, just save us, save us from the hand of this king. God wipes out 185,000 and brings justice, brings justice to Sennacherib. And, and, and defeats Nisroch. And that's the end of the matter. See, you see, from all of these things, this is what I want to close with. We, we've got time for this. All of the judgments, all of the judgments in an imperfect way, but in, in a helpful way. This was a judgment situation. This, this was God rendering his verdict. He's going to glorify his own name, and Assyria is going to be defeated. And his own people are going to be saved. All of the judgments in the Bible are emblematic. They are indications of the final and last judgment, of the ultimate judgment. They, they all have this in common. God delivers the verdict. God separates the righteous from the unrighteous, the sheep and the goats. God does all of that. And that day is more certain. That day to come is more certain in, in everyone who is listening to me than you will take your next breath. That day is fixed. 1 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed, may be paid back for the deeds that are done in the body. We, we must appear. You must appear. I must appear. We all must appear. All of us, all mankind must appear. It's of necessity. You've got an appointment. There's an appointment. Man is appointed to die once. And after that comes the judgment. This is the grand judgment. You will make that appointment. We must appear. You will appear. And you know that. It's in your heart. If, if, if you don't have Christ right now, you know eternity is in your heart. You know there is a judge of all the earth. You know that he is holy. You know that he is powerful. You've got to know him through Jesus Christ. Don't go to God without Christ. Don't go to, to, the, to the judge of all the earth without embracing Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to judge the world. The God-man who understands all about us. 
He has experienced every temptation, every affliction. He escaped nothing. He is your judge. He's a man. He's God. And he is Jesus Christ, the man. And he will dish out a perfectly, perfectly what all of us deserve. And by the blood of Christ, we can say this. I can say this. I don't deserve to have had him. But since you decided from all eternity that I would have him, I know what I get. I get to see Jesus. I get to be free from all my sins. I get to enjoy the fellowship of all the saints. I get to enjoy the new heavens and the new earth. All of you, all of you who know Christ, dear person who does not know Jesus right now, his arms wide open to you. The Father did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but through the Son that the world might be saved. That's 1 John 3, 17. 16 is that he loved the world in this way, in this manner, that he gave his only begotten Son, his one and only Son, that you should not perish, but you should have everlasting life. It's freely offered to you. It can be yours by faith. What can your prayer do? What can your prayer do for you? It can bring you to God. It can bring you salvation. It all hinges, from the human standpoint, it all hinges, it all hinges just like this. Because you have prayed, God will say that to you. Because you have prayed and you have turned from your sins and you're calling upon the name, you're calling upon me, I'll give you Jesus. That's what we want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these tremendous examples of your grace in the Word of God. We thank you for these historic events that have taken place for our benefit. What we want in this last time of prayer with this theme, last time just for now, I'm, we're sure of that. But for now, what we really want is a revitalization of our church. We want more of you. We want more grace. We want more of the Holy Spirit. We want more prayers offered and authored. We want more passion and, and intensity and, and, and sincerity and humility and surrender to you. Only you can give it. We pray you'll bring it. Bring it to Heritage Baptist Church. Make us like the man who said, just pray for me that I'll be faithful. That's what we want to be. We just want to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As a response, let's stand to our feet and sing what a